If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Let us bow our heads together. The psalmist seems rather aggressive, holy one, and it's not just because it's too early to have had enough coffee. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises. And with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise, they urge us. Trumpets and horns. Some of us can barely get sound out of our fourth grader's recorder. Clearly, the psalmist wasn't wrapping up the end of the school year or the legislative session. Frankly, we're going to have to dig deep, really deep, to find anything to be grateful for in this particular season. But now that we're thinking about thanks and praise, it is a minor miracle that the last language arts assignment didn't end in a screaming match. There may have even been some laughing. And we did get Ida's law passed, finally. We had lunch outside, no masks, with friends we've had to be apart from for too long. And we saw the first lightning bug of summer just last night. The psalmist must have known how it works. The more good we look for in our lives, the more we find. Thanks and praise indeed. Great is thy faithfulness, Holy One. Not a moment passes without your unconditional love and unceasing grace. May you be able to say the same about us. Amen. Our scriptural lesson this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. Peter had not finished speaking these words when the Holy Spirit descended upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who had accompanied Peter were surprised that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, whom they could hear speaking in tongues and glorifying God. Then Peter asked, What can stop these people who have received the Holy Spirit, even as we have, from being baptized with water? So he gave orders that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. After this was done, they asked him to stay on with them for a few days. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. 
if ever there was a yay church scripture reading, this is it. Peter had not finished speaking these words when the Holy Spirit descended upon all who were listening to the message. The Spirit fell on all who were listening. This is an Oprah Winfrey moment indeed. You get the Spirit! You get the Spirit! You get the Spirit! We all get the Spirit! What a moment! What joy! What celebration! What good news! It must have felt like it did in this very sanctuary on October 6th, 2014, when it became legal for queer couples to marry. Fourteen couples waited patiently for their turn along the east windows, eager to finally exchange vows. There was standing room only, and a giant cake was in the fellowship hall. It, too, was an Oprah Winfrey moment in the church. You get a marriage license. You get a marriage license. You get a, We all get marriage licenses. What joy. What celebration. What good news. But it's also not the whole story. Either for the early church in the book of Acts or for us. Reading just those four verses or recalling the celebration only of October 6th means that we don't hear how we got to that place. We miss the journey. The last four verses don't really convey what a monumental, hard-fought, some-thought-it-would-never-happen moment in the life of the church. The Gospels tell us the story of Jesus, but the book of Acts contains stories about the early church. It is not exactly a historical account, although it tells us of some significant moments in the past. Rather, suggests theologian Beverly Roberts Gaventa, we should think of it as a theological narrative, a story about how God's people move closer to the kingdom that Jesus preached about. It is, in some ways, kind of like a church profile. Here's the story of us, how we got to where we are. We might think that such a document would only include the highlights, the best moments, the happy times, but that would be a dishonest accounting. Luke, who scholars believe authored Acts, knew how important telling the whole story, warts and all, would be so he didn't leave out the hard parts. He knew that how we tell the story of us matters. And for much of the book of Acts, the topic is about inclusion. Who is included? Do Gentiles get in or just the circumcised? If we only read the four verses suggested to us, we might think that the church has always been open to everyone. But Luke knew that if you read the history of something and it only makes you proud and happy, you're probably not reading history. You're reading propaganda. This is the problem with House Bill 1775, which Governor Kevin Stitt signed into law on Friday. House Bill 1775 prohibits Oklahoma public school teachers from teaching concepts like critical race theory, which critiques, among other things, 
how the social construction of race and institutionalized racism perpetuate a racial caste system that relegates black people and people of color to the bottom tiers. It acknowledges that the legacy of slavery, segregation, and the imposition of second-class citizenship on black Americans and other people of color continue to permeate the social fabric of this nation. It only takes one guess to identify the demographic of legislators who don't want critical race theory taught in public schools. White Christian conservatives. They would prefer to pretend that racism is a bygone relic of the past and that racist incidents are aberrations instead of manifestations of structural and systemic racism. I am convinced that Luke also knew that he needed to tell the whole story of the early church, including the winding road to full inclusion, because he trusted that the whole story would not weaken the church, but strengthen it. He gives us a testimony that tells us how the church arrived at a turning point where insiders were willing to include outsiders the story really starts in the first verse of chapter 10 when we are introduced to Cornelius, a Gentile Roman army officer. Luke describes him as a devout man who feared God, but not part of the faith community of Acts. Cornelius had a strange dream in which an angel instructs him to seek out Peter, which wasn't exactly socially or politically acceptable at this time. Gentile Roman army officers didn't mix with Jewish Jesus followers. But Cornelius listened to the spirit and took the risk. He sent three members of his household to invite Peter to dinner. While they are on their way, God is at work on Peter and his attitude towards outsiders, which is, at that point, a little less than Jesus-y. Peter also has a dream, and in this dream he saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. To be clear, Peter is telling God how to be holy and faithful, and he does this with no sense of irony. Peter's life of faith up to this point had been defined by careful definitions of clean and unclean, rule-following and separation. So God becomes even more direct at this point, as the text says. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean you must not call profane. One might think that such direct communication would cause an immediate attitude adjustment in Peter. But let's not act like we are able to let go of our own embedded theology any easier. Three separate times the sheet was lowered and its contents offered to Peter. Three different times. God has to work really hard to convince Peter to choose love over the law. While Peter is still puzzling about what make, to make of this dream, Cornelius' group arrives a bunch of Gentiles on Peter's doorstep. 
They invite him to go to Cornelius' house. This is an unprecedented meeting. It is at this point, though, that it becomes clear that Peter's dream has renegotiated his ethnic sensibilities. Scholar Eric Barreto writes, as a constructed social reality, ethnicity is a projection of our own anxieties and hopes, an inclusive, exclusive impulse to identify who we are, but also an exclusive effort to distinguish between us and them. Indeed, after Peter accepts their invitation to go meet with Cornelius, he reminds the entire household that you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. This is how we get to that moment when we bang the drums and shout from the rooftop that the Spirit has fallen on everyone, everyone is in, there's no tiered system with God. Or as Peter proclaims, I truly understand God shows no partiality. Yeah, it, it took longer than four verses to get there, but they did. Indeed, the story of how this congregation got to celebrate marriage equality at this church begins long before October 6, 2014. We might go back to 1972, when the United Church of Christ became the first denomination to ordain an openly gay man, the Reverend William R. Johnson. Then in 1977, the UCC's General Synod approved a resolution titled Deploring the Violation of Civil Rights of Gay and Bisexual Persons. Five years later, in 1982, the Reverend Anne Holmes became the first openly lesbian minister ordained in the UCC. Three years later, in 1985, the UCC's General Synod urged UCC congregations to, quote, declare themselves to be open and affirming. And one of the earliest it was one of the earliest programs where member congregations could signal their affirmation of the queer community. And the Open and Affirming Coalition began working to fund, manage, and grow the Open and Affirming movement. By 1987, there were 15 Open and Affirming congregations in the UCC, 15. Mayflower would join these ranks in 2001 when the congregation voted unanimously to adopt a document called a covenant of openness and affirmation which hangs today in our main hallway. In 2003, the UCC's General Synod voted for a resolution titled Affirming the Participation and Ministry of Transgender People within the United Church of Christ and Supporting Their Civil and Human Rights followed two years later by a resolution affirming equal marriage rights for all. Between 2001, when Mayflower officially became open and affirming, and 2014, when we hosted wedding after wedding after wedding after wedding after wedding, this congregation did the work by holding unions and blessings for queer beloveds. We advocated for equal rights we went on the record, we showed up, and the Spirit did too. 
This was the work that set up the call from Freedom Oklahoma, our state's queer rights advocacy organization, to ask if Mayflower would hold those weddings. If not for the work of the wider denomination, if not for the work of this particular congregation, if not for the mysterious movement of the Spirit, who knows how much longer those beloved couples would have had to wait. Knowing this entire narrative is important for us, church. The telling of the story of us fully and honesty, the twists and turns, the visions and dreams and stirring of the spirit that shifted perspectives, the resolutions that were embodied by individuals and by congregations, the legislation that had to be fought against and fought for, the hearts and minds that wouldn't give up until all were included. That's what it took a lot longer than four verses. Of course, we wish it would have taken less time, but progress is rarely linear, and things are not made right just because God waves a magic wand. Progress is made by the change and growth of the people of God, by being curious and open to new teachings, by taking risks prompted by the Spirit, which we trust is both a given and a mystery. There are times when we think nothing will ever change, but our stories tell us we can do a new thing. And, and the best part? Even then, the story isn't over. There was no arrival, no final destination for the church in Acts. The church kept dreaming and the Spirit kept falling on people. The rest of Acts tells us more stories of visions and dreams, the people of God ever progressing towards a more faithful version of themselves. Acts has 28 chapters, all of them about the next faithful step, and, and then the next faithful step after that, and the next faithful step after that. And even after the book of Acts closes, there's still more. It's why we're meeting this morning, because the Spirit just isn't done yet. So what's next for us, Mayflower? Like the early church, this congregation has not arrived. We are still progressing. This is part of the reason we claim to be progressive Christians. But what are we progressing towards? I mean, yes, in a general sense, we are working on learning to live in deeply loving ways as individuals and as a community. But what does that look like specifically? What I'm about to say may surprise you. What I'd really like for you to do after lunch today is take a nap. For real, take a nap. Y'all need to sleep. Why? Well, the text tells us that the, the Spirit has already fallen on us, which means that God is also already working in ways we cannot see. We're primed for a new vision. So take a nap, because we've got dreaming to do. 
And when we wake, we'll sing that old hymn, To the work, to the work, let the hungry be fed. To the fountain of life, let the weary be led. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are currently online only, premiering at 11 a.m. on Mayflower's Facebook page. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.